Welcome to Petrifaction. I'm your host, Petey. And if you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you're in the right place. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Remember, friends, be prepared to be petrified. everybody and we are back for the second part of 28 days in Amityville. Just to recap a little bit, this is based upon the book The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson and in the first episode that we had it was moving in day for the Lutz family. The Lutz family consists of Kathy and George, who are the parents of three children, Chris, Danny, and their little girl, Missy. So the first day they're there is moving in day. They closed on the house, and then following closing, they moved in. And they had a priest come in that first day, Father Mancuso. Father Mancuso came in and blessed the house. And he is the priest that was told get out. But he continued to bless the house because he felt that it was something he had to do. It was part of his duties. That was the first incident, but the priest didn't mention it at this point to the family. The family is all having personality changes. Everybody's moody. Everybody is at on edge. Instead of having a good time, instead of being happy in their new house, instead of getting excited for Christmas, it's almost the opposite. It's almost like a depression is falling on, falling on everybody. And the kids are misbehaving like they've never done before. Kathy's moody. She's sullen. George is just on his last nerve with everybody. It's just not a good atmosphere for the family and it should be it should be a very happy time for them it's at this point on beginning on the very first night they're there that George is awakened every night at 3 15 by pounding the first time he heard it he thought it was somebody at the front door 
And then he realized the pounding was coming from within inside the house. George is always cold, despite the fact he keeps feeding log after log into their fireplace and the register is reading over 75 degrees. He can't seem to get warm. As I said, the kids are out of control. And at one point, Kathy and George both beat the kids with wooden spoons and a belt because they're so out of control. And um, the reason for the beating was because they broke a window in the toy room. By day five, there is this black stuff in the toilets that they can't explain. There's flies in the sewing room and it's winter time in New York. So they have no explanation for where all these darn flies came from. And the toilets remain stained, despite the fact that Kathy has tried numerous chemicals, numerous cleaning items, scrubbed them numerous times, and they're still stained black. At one point, the front door is ripped open, and it's twisted and bent off its hinges. And on the last day that we talked about, a crucifix is found inside the closet, hanging upside down. So those are just some of the things that happen in the first week. And we're going to go on from here. So we left off at day six on the last show. So we're going to pick up at day seven. And day seven in Amityville is Christmas Eve day. Kind of starts out slow. Kathy's mother calls and lets them know that she and Kathy's brother Jimmy are going to stop by for a visit. And they're bringing a Christmas tree for the new home. They arrive late in the afternoon and when they come in, they notice that it's chilly in the house, despite the fact that the thermometer is reading 80 degrees. And also, George, again, has that fire blazing in the fireplace. He's still cold all the time. He can't figure out why. It's not going to be much of a Christmas this year in the Let's Home. Since the move, the Lutzes haven't really done any Christmas shopping. And they do have three little kids. Kathy knows that she needs to go shopping. There were a few items she picked up for the children before the move. But it just seems that they can't leave the house. For whatever reason, they don't have the energy or the desire to leave. Even though they know they should. And this has been a problem with Kathy already. Where she's wanted to leave the house well not really want not not really wanted to leave she's known she's had to go do things like grocery shopping and she just can't make herself even go to do it which is very odd so it isn't going to be much of a christmas kathy instead instead of doing any christmas shopping decides she's going to move in. She's going to empty more boxes. She's going to use some of the cabinets in the basement as a pantry. And in the house, even though it's Christmas Eve, 
it just seems that all they do is fight. George yells at the kids. The kids are fighting constantly. Kathy's annoyed at George because all he does is yell at the kids. The kids are always running around and fighting. It's just like one thing after another. It just seems to be a domino effect. They all feel irritated. It's not their personalities that are coming out. They're, they're, they're not themselves in this house. So Kathy and George fail to even go Christmas shopping. They don't do it at all. And now it's Christmas Eve, and it's really too late to do any shopping. And it's really going to be a meager Christmas for the kids. There's very little that they got. It's Christmas Day now. It's past midnight. And George and Kathy have been in bed for a few hours. But once again, George awakes at 3.15 a.m. It seems to be the new normal. It's been eight days of this now. And the dog, Harry, all he does is sleep. It's unnatural for this dog. He's very active. He's a Malamute mix. And this isn't in his nature to just sleep all the time. And George thinks something's really wrong. Maybe Harry's been poisoned. And he vows that he's going to take the dog to the vet because something just isn't right. Well, 3.15, getting awoken again. George hears the pounding. And for whatever reason, he's drawn to that boathouse at this point. So he goes out to the boathouse. And again, Harry's sleeping, doesn't even budge when his master comes by in the middle of the night. So the boathouse seems okay. George checks it out just to make sure. And when he turns around to go back in the house... From the boathouse, he can see Missy's window. And what he sees freaks him out. He can see Missy in the window standing watching him. And directly behind her, he sees red eyes and a pig. George immediately runs to her room. And when he gets there, just literally seconds later from seeing this, Missy's fast asleep. There's no pig in sight. But... Her chair is rocking. Later on that same Christmas morning, Kathy hears Missy, Missy talking to Jody. And she asks Missy, is that one of your new dolls? And Missy says, no, Mama. No, Mama, that's a pig. So Kathy assumes that Jody is an imaginary friend. Missy's only five. This isn't unusual. So she doesn't, Kathy doesn't think much more of it. And of course, George has yet to tell Kathy about seeing the red eyes and the pig in the window. The kids are playing in the playroom with the meager amount of things they got for Christmas with their new toys. And it is cold inside the playroom. And it's cold in there despite the fact that the radiator is on and it's running hot. It is literally hot to the touch. So George tries to check it out to see what's going on, but he doesn't really know. It's just cold in there, which is odd. And that's kind of how it is for Christmas. Christmas is just the day spent at home. Uh, the 
families in the same kind of mood it's been in. Just everybody's annoyed with each other. The kids are still picking. So that was Christmas and it was kind of, and it was just a meager Christmas this year for the Lutz family. So, December 26th is day nine in Amityville. And it's also Kathy's brother's wedding day. Jimmy's getting married to Carrie. And George wakes up very sick. He has severe diarrhea that he can't control. And he's vomiting as well. And it's not a good day. He doesn't really care about Jimmy's wedding, even though he's the best man. Jimmy really does like George. They are very close. But George is so sick. He spends the day basically being sick. While George is laying down trying to keep warm, Kathy's in her kitchen. And that's the one place where she feels kind of safe in the house, that weird things haven't happened quite yet. And she's sitting in her kitchen when she feels something invisible that touches her. And at first it's a light touch. Then it wraps invisible arms around her and it starts to squeeze. And she's trying to resist. And she's saying, no, no, no. And it squeezes tightly. And it keeps squeezing into what she calls a bear hug. And she's fighting to breathe at this point. Thankfully, as quick as it began, it just stops. She has no explanation because nobody else was in the room with her. But she doesn't tell George or anybody else either. A little bit later on that day, Danny and Chris have a fist fight. And it's the first time in nine days that George showers and is clean shaven. Because they have the wedding to go to in the evening. Jimmy calls to let them know he's going to pick up the family at 5.30. He comes in wearing a raincoat because, of course, it's New York. The weather is not nice on December 26th. He places the raincoat on a kitchen chair. Now, what you don't know is inside the raincoat, he has an envelope with $1,500 of cash. So he set the raincoat down on the kitchen chair. He goes into the living room with George and Kathy visits a little bit, and when the family's ready, they're getting ready to leave, he of course retrieves the raincoat. He reaches in to make sure the envelope with the $1,500 is there. He's just kind of patting the coat, and he doesn't feel it. Okay, that's a little strange. So he checks the coat pockets, and there's no envelope. He checks the floor. He checks all around, and the $1,500 in cash for his wedding just disappears. It's never found, despite the fact that they went through the entire house on multiple occasions. This $1,500 in cash is never found. On day 10, this is December 27th. 
the Lutzes have an unexpected visitor that comes to the house to see it. It's Kathy's Aunt Teresa. She was a former nun, and although she had been a nun, she had left and actually gotten married and had children. And she came in to view the new house, and when she arrived, she went through the rooms, of course, because Kathy was giving her a tour. And outside of the playroom, she just felt an evil chill. And she couldn't bring herself to go inside. And then when Kathy brought her into the sewing room area, the same thing happened. Aunt Teresa had a very bad feeling about this house. She just felt the house in general was evil. And those two rooms in particular held something vile. Kathy and George had expected Aunt Teresa to stay for a visit, have dinner with them, because it was a ways to go to get to Amityville for her. Instead, after just 30 minutes inside the house, she insisted she had to leave, despite the fact it was terribly cold outside. So Aunt Teresa left after less than 30 minutes. After she leaves, Kathy's still working on the house. She's still moving stuff and putting things away. And she's putting pantry items back down on a shelf in the basement off the kitchen. And while she's doing this, one of the shelves cracks. And after it cracks, it's like she can feel air movement behind. Like the wall is not solid. So she moves some stuff out of the way. Sure enough, there's a hidden room behind the shelving in the basement. She kind of pulls it open and looks in, and what she finds is the red room. The red room's a secret room. It's painted entirely red, and it smells like blood. December 28th is day 11. George leaves the house. And he goes to a bar. It's a bar just down the street. He just decides he wants a drink. You know, and there, there's some beer in the fridge, but he just wants to get out of the house, actually. And he goes down the street to a bar. And he, when he walks in, the bartender, of course, pours him a beer. And asks him if he is just visiting maybe visiting for the holiday or if he's from the area. And George says, yeah, that uh, he lives just up the street, that he and his family just bought a house up on Ocean Avenue. And the bartender gives him a kind of puzzled look. And George finds that he's feeling much better outside of the house, though. You know, so he has a beer, talks to the bartender a little bit, because it's not very crowded in there has a second beer, and the bartender is friendly with him, and he asks him, you know, just where his house is, and George tells him that it, he bought the house up on Ocean Avenue, and at the time he does this, the bartender just kind of wigged out about it, because in the bartender's mind, George looks like Butch DeFeo. Now, Butch is the guy who murdered his family at 112 Ocean Avenue. And the bartender tells him he looks like this guy. And yeah, it ends up being that 
the bartender is in fact tucking about Butch DeFeo. And that wigs George out a little bit. And while George is gone, he's not gone very long, maybe an hour. While he's out, this porcelain lion was a gift that she had bought him for George. He seemed to love the lion. It was four feet tall, quite heavy. And it was a wedding present. And they had it in the living room. And Kathy swears that it moved on its own. She doesn't tell George. Like, they don't communicate very much here, I've noticed, because she doesn't tell George. But after dinner, George stumbles over that same lion in the living room as he's passing through. It's in the middle of the floor. And how the hell did it get there? George falls. He takes a pretty good tumble. He hits his head on the logs near the fireplace. He also twists his ankle. He has a cut above his eye. When Kathy patches him up, the cut on his eye is not too bad, but the ankle's pretty swollen and stiff. And worse yet, there are teeth marks on his ankle just above where it's swollen. This next bit is day 12 and 13. On day 12, the IRS invades George's company. And he's not at work, so they actually call him in to tell him that they are being audited by the IRS. And George has to get his butt in there. George does, and it doesn't go too well. But they have an appointment for the audit to give George time to get all of his documentation in place. So they make that appointment. And now he's worried about finances because he's being audited on top of everything else by the IRS. So after work, he goes to the library just to get some more information on the house. He wants to know some history. Specifically, he wants to know about the DeFeo case. Now, they were aware, of course, the murder happening, but he wasn't aware of any of the details. So while going home from the library, where he did find a little bit of information, the tire on his van is coming off. There's absolutely no reason why this should happen. The van had just been in the shop. It had had some work done. It was in perfectly good condition just a couple days ago. And in fact, the van is rather new. It shouldn't be happening. And of course, anybody who drives knows that if you have a loose tire, if your wheel is coming off, it could kill you or somebody else. And in fact, uh, there have been instances where tires have come off and people have been killed for this very reason. Luckily, George is told by a fellow driver that meets him near a stop sign or a stoplight. He rolls down his window and tells George that his tire is really wobbling badly and he's losing it. So that gives George the heads up. And he's freaked out when he sees this because shouldn't be happening and he knows he could be killed or if Kathy had taken the van with the kids they all could have been killed and they could kill somebody else if this happens as well so this wasn't a good situation and there's no explanation why this happened to the vehicle On 
on December 31st, which is day 14, the Lutz family decided they were just going to stay in for New Year's Eve. They really didn't want to be out on the streets. So they decided they were just going to stay there at the house. And they were actually tired and they went to bed early. They didn't even wait for the New Year to ring in. Well, they weren't asleep very long when they were woken up by wind in the bedroom. So George and Kathy get up and they find out that all the windows on the entire second floor, except for Missy's room, were wide open. The weather was coming in and it was cold. It was hot in Missy's room, however, which was inexplicable. George and Kathy took Missy and they all slept in the living room the rest of that night. New Year's Day, Father Mancuso has blistering wounds on the palms of his hands. He's still sick. Also, on January 1st, George and Kathy see beady red eyes looking at them in the living room. There's nobody outside the window. But cloven, hooved prints are found outside the living room window. On January 2nd, the boathouse door is ripped off. It's metal frame and the door is destroyed. George went back to work. And while he's at work, Kathy's grabbed again. There were invisible hands that held her and squeezed her hard to the point where she lost consciousness. When George gets home, he calls Father Mancuso, who's still sick. And when Father Mancuso hangs up, his hands are burning hot again. He refuses to come since he's sick. And the truth of the matter is, is he's just scared to go back. The family asked Father Mancuso to come back in because of all the experiences they were having. But Father Mancuso was ashamed to admit to himself that he was terrified to go back into that house. He seemed to be affected by it. At the Lutz house, the ceramic lion that bit George now moves itself to the table and bears its jaws at them. It had been moved to the sewing room after George's accident, yet somehow it mysteriously happened to appear on the table and both swear that it moved on its own and it did bear its jaws at them. That night, George can hear a marching band in his living room when he goes downstairs to check. Of course, nothing's there. When he returns to bed, Kathy is levitating several feet off the bed. So we're going to go back to Father Mancuso now. And the reason that the Lutzes decided to contact somebody in the paranormal field. So Father Mancuso had talked to the Chancellor. And he 
goes back and tells George and Kathy that they need to call in paranormal researchers to document all the things that are going on in the house. So it's at this point then that the Lutzes contact the Psychical Research Center of Durham, North Carolina. On January 6th, which is day 19, it's so cold outside. The Northeast is experiencing terrible, cold, snowy weather. And Harry, even though he's a nice and sturdy dog, he is brought in to sleep in the house because it's too cold even for him to be outside. Now, Harry is put in Missy's room. He's taken upstairs and he's put in Missy's room. Only outside of Missy's door, he just does not want to go in that room. He tries to get out of Missy's room and eventually he ends up getting out of Missy's room, runs up the stairs onto the third floor and spends the night with the boys. And on this night, George sees Kathy levitate for the second time. When she comes down, she doesn't know what happens. She's unaware that she was levitating. As she gets up to go to the restroom, looks in her mirror, and to her horror, she sees that she's a hag. She finds herself to be an old, toothless woman, wrinkled, and she looks at herself in the mirror and sees a crone. She sees also three ridges on each cheek from below her eye to her jaw. They contact Father Mancuso. Mother and Father Mancuso tells them to just get out of that house. But they don't listen. There's stuff going on with the house. And they have the psychic coming in, so they stay. And on day 20, the psychic comes in and has to leave. And she feels it's too powerful and too dangerous to remain in the house. Once again, the Lutzes are told to get out of the house, but again, they stay. On day 21, Jimmy and his new wife, Carrie, come back from their honeymoon, and they are staying with George and Kathy at the house. So they show up, and um, they're sleeping in Missy's room. At 3.15 a.m., the whole household is awoken by Carrie screaming. She woke up because she said that something touched her while she was sleeping. She saw a little boy at the end of the bed. On day 22, Father Mancuso and the Chancellor are again discussing the Lutz house. The Chancellor agrees that they need to leave the house, so Father Mancuso calls George to tell them to just get out. It's just for their benefit, it's for their safety to get out of the house. And after George hangs up with Father Mancuso, he finds a green gelatinous material oozing from the walls. On day 23, 
Kathy wakes up with blisters covering her entire body. They are hot and they burn. If anyone touches them, it'll burn the person that touches them. They're that hot. Danny's hand is smashed inside a window. His hand is actually flattened to the point where George wraps his hand in a towel and takes him to the emergency room. When they get to the hospital, they're shown, their x-rays are taken at the hospital, and for whatever reason, miraculously, nothing is broken. And it's very weird because it just seems like his hand is flat. This was very traumatic for him. It was traumatic for all the kids. It was traumatic for George and Kathy. And at this point, everybody is just sleeping in Kathy and George's bed. All five of them. On day 24, at 6.30 in the morning, George and Kathy are awoken by rain. There's rain and wind coming into the bedroom. George gets up to check and all of the windows, the, all of the window panes are broken and the doors are smashed open from the inside. Every single room in the house is in the same condition. The house is pretty much just a mess. There are 10 broken windows. There's water damage. The locks to every door are broken. And the family can't leave now until the house is secured in some way. They've got an inch of muddy water that came in on the carpeting. This was a heck of a storm for sure. But they seem to be the only house on their street that is affected this badly. The neighbors might have some trees down, some limbs down, but it's nothing like the damage that they have on Ocean Avenue. And on day 26, Kathy and George both see red eyes in Missy's window. They see Jody the pig. Jody wants in, but Kathy swings a chair through the window, and they all hear a pig squealing, running away but they don't see any more of it. And this occurred on the second floor. We're getting near the end now. It's almost time where they finally bail on the house. So on the 27th day, George puts plywood all over the windows that are broken throughout the house, and including Missy's window. And he's trying to fix up the house, but he has to go into work. At this point, the paranormal researchers, George Kakaris, says that he had the flu and had to cancel his visit. So, so much for that. Missy's talking to something that's under the kitchen table, and Missy tells Kathy that Jody is an angel and that Kathy is going to live there forever, and they're going to play with the dead little boy there, too. Kathy obviously is creeped out by this. Who wouldn't be creeped out by their five-year-old saying such things? And it's this point that Kathy insists that they leave. George gets home and they decide that's it. They're going to pack up and go. 
and then right when they wanted to leave, the window repairman shows up. And it ended up he had to stay all day and they didn't get to leave. So the family ended up staying another night. And George actually wakes up Kathy because he's screaming in his sleep and speaking in tongues. He keeps saying over and over, it's in Chris's room, it's in Chris's room, over and over. And he can see Chris being engulfed in a black shadow. It was, of course, a nightmare. Except what they didn't know is that at one point Chris had to get up to go to the bathroom. And for whatever reason, he decided to go up to the third floor. And indeed, when George was dreaming this, Chris was actually on the third floor. And he experienced a black shadow up there. But he ran down. He ran back down and got into bed. And it wasn't until after this that he admitted that he'd been up there and that he'd seen a black shadow. Right then and there, they decide they're leaving. They all pile into the family van, only to find that the van won't start. The power went out, and another huge storm hits Amityville. They escape to the van once again, and this time they all pray. They're all praying for it to start and miraculously. It does. They drive to Kathy's mother's house, and they stay there. They move in with her. They don't go back to the house. In the process, they lose everything. They left with nothing. They only left with the clothes on their back. They never went back in for anything. The house was foreclosed upon, and the bank took it back, and they lost all of their personal possessions. The researchers finally did show up at the house. There were six people involved. There was a reporter, three mediums, and a demonologist that showed up. And whatever was in the house followed them to Kathy's mother's place. George said that Kathy levitated on several occasions at his mother's place, but eventually it did quiet down for them. And then the investigators, the investigators, like I said, it was a reporter, mediums, and a demonologist. Uh, one of the mediums was Lorraine Warren, and the demonologist was Ed Warren. In the summer of 1976, Kathy, George, and the family flee to California. So that's the story of the Amityville Horror it was 28 long days for the couple to be in Amityville. So if you're ever buying a new house and you're having a priest come in and having it blessed and you find flies in the middle of winter and the house tells you to get out and you find a red room and there are black shadows and there are things that move on their own and the, and the walls leak and the windows open by themselves and all kinds of things happen and it changes your personality and your mood, you might want to think of getting out of that house. And that's all I have to say. The Lutz family has claimed that they never made anything on this, even though there was a book made in several movies. 
is they never got rich or got their money back from what they lost at Amityville. That's all for today's podcast. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating, and hit subscribe. If you have a story you would like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at Petey at Petrifaction at ProtonMail.com. And remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories and friends be prepared to be petrified.